0: It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village because raising your child is really, really tough? What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast, On The Hard Days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on The Hard Days. Welcome back, everybody. I'm very, very excited today to bring you a conversation with Crystal Dorothy. And she is an amazing mother. She is the content creator behind Not So Mom Versus Society. She's going to talk about that um, in, a, in a minute and, and show you how she advocates for her kids by sharing a message about neurodiversity, which is essentially what I am doing as well. Um, and, and it's so nice to be able to link up in this way and the more that people hear it, the more validated they feel. And we can kind of get out the knowledge of what neurodiverse kids are like. So first of all, Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Tell us, I suppose, before we jump into your kids, tell us quickly about what
1: you do. So um, I am actually recently as of like two years ago, a blogger. Um, I started a blog because I was tired of answering the same questions over and over again about my children. Um, so I started writing there and it just kind of has snowballed into all kinds of interesting opportunities for the kids. And for you too. And for me. Yeah. Tell, tell us about some of those opportunities that you've had. Um, so recently we got to, we get to go to like live shows and we review them for how a child that might be on the spectrum or have sensory issues might respond. Um, so you can kind of get tips and tricks. Like we've done Blippy live and Paw Patrol and, you know, those types of shows, um, We've also done plays. We have businesses that have us come through like Jurassic Quest and a drive through Safari Park and just all kinds of really fun places. Mm, that is so cool. What, what a cool opportunity because
0: not only do you get to do those things, but you then get to sort of just having those experiences. You are advocating for other neurodiverse kids because moms are going to- read what you, you said, you know, what you write about it and, and go, okay, this is, you've given it a try. I'm going to go for it. Let's do it. You know?
1: So that's a really cool position that you're in a unique position. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of moms when they have, you know, neurodiverse children, they're kind of afraid to go out in public because it could be so unpredictable. And I'm like, we're going, <laughs> all right, let's do this. And, you know, kind of like practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, it's not always perfect. You I know, mean, we yeah. definitely have our issues, but, um, I feel like it's really helped my children kind of adapt more easily. So such a cool,
0: such a cool thing that you're doing. Um, and I really think the opportunities that you have are endless because, as this continues to to snowball for you in the best way possible, it's like, okay, how else can I speak to environments that may or may not be welcoming for neurodiverse
1: children um, and, and help them become more welcoming? One of the things I'm actually working on right now is, uh, we live very close to the space and rocket center in Huntsville. And, um,
0: like My element Albert,
1: Albert, um, really wants to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And until actually this last year, NASA did not make an initiative to support neurodiverse candidates. Um, there has not been a documented um, person with autism that has become an astronaut. So we went to the Space and Rocket Center and I talked to the people there. And I'm in the middle of writing a blog about you know, how things can change and how Ever could potentially become an astronaut now. Mm, so cool. So cool. Um,
0: I've been there as well. And that was a cool place. Um, but that's the thing that y- you are in this, such a good position to be thinking about, like, who, who can I talk to and who can I contact to say, Hey, let's think about this. And how could we, that's, that's important work for our society. Very important work. So I, that's super cool. Um, tell us about your boys. We talked the other day and I was feeling, uh, I was feeling it. You've got a lot going on here and there's a lot that I can relate to.
1: Um, but tell us about them. Okay. So I guess I'll start with Everett cause he was the beginning of my journey. <laughs> um, so Everett is my eldest. He is going to be turning seven in about two and a half weeks. And when he was a baby, he was like, so perfect. I mean, he was just the chillest, calmest baby, although he was very physically advanced and uh, very mechanically advanced. Uh, He could figure out every single child proofing lock that we ever installed. Um, He was like walking and crawling way ahead of schedule. Um, But we noticed around the time that he turned one that he didn't really have vocabulary uh that was typical for a child that age and my mom was kind of pushing at it and i was like "Mm, he's just really physically advanced it's okay you know like me being you know first first child i know my kid it's great um well then by the time he turned two he still didn't really have a vocabulary Um, so the pediatrician recommended that we put him into early intervention for speech and when we got him evaluated they were like, are you at all worried about his motor skills? And I guess at this time I didn't really understand like entirely what motor skills were. And I was like, not at all. Like he can unbuckle his car seat and sorry, I've got a little thing. He can unbuckle his car seat and he's walking and climbing and he's great. But apparently like, they were like, okay, Uh, here's another bomb in denial, but okay, we won't push it. (laughs) Um, And So that was in September that he started early intervention. And that December I became pregnant with Finn. And as my pregnancy progressed, um, we decided to put Everett into a a Waldorf school for the summer just to kind of give myself a break and start to get him used to school. Well, he was so disruptive there that he essentially got kicked out. They told us that he was not welcome back without a diagnosis and that's when we're like, okay, there is something more going on with this child, Um, and he ended up getting diagnosed with sensory processing disorder um, about a week and a half before I gave birth with Finn, Um, and throughout the next year, it became obvious that there was more going on than just SPD, And so we got him analyzed again and tested and he had autism. (laughs) I was like, okay. And, you know, it was weird because we wanted the diagnosis. We knew something was going on and we wanted it, but actually like having someone say it out loud was such a shock to my system. You know, it almost felt like all of a sudden Everett now had like this invisible scarlet A on his chest, you know? Yes. And, um, you know, I took a little bit of time to kind of come to terms with that. Cause you know, when you get these diagnoses, it's like, you know how much harder their lives are going to be. And, you know, you almost have to mourn the child right. of your dreams and learn to accept the child of your reality. And, you know, I kind of, it took me a bit to, to figure that out, you know, and realize that just because he has autism, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's any less, or that's going to be his defining trait. Um, so we did a lot of, a lot of therapy. We got him into school. We got him into occupational therapy and speech therapy and special you know services and everything. And, um, now if, unless you spend a bit of time with him, um, you may not even realize that he is on the spectrum. Um, so the benefits of therapy have just been amazing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like, obviously if you are familiar with autism, um, you would pick up on like the subtle things, you know, cause he's very high functioning, but, uh, you know, it's not so bad. And, you know, he, Initially he would get so overloaded when other kids were loud or crying that he would go over and try to hit them to turn them off, mm. you know, cause he didn't have the ability to do that. And he couldn't jump with two feet off the ground and just all kinds of stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So all, all this time when, you know, if it was a baby and up until the time he was like two ish um, mm-hmm. we were just focused really on Everett. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness! I have Finn. He's he's neurodivergent. He's speaking and walking at normal times. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. He's a neurotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, he's he's great. You know, like I I have Everett, which is my focus a little bit here, and then I have Finn, and he's kind of going to be the chill one. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is so relatable. Um, and uh, so shortly after um, Finn turned two. We just like something is something is going on with this child. Um, he didn't respond to discipline at all. He was just everything that you kind of think is like the stereotypical boy trait. It was like that times nine million, you know, jumping, fighting, climbing. He was aggressive. Um, uh, and so, um we started talking with the pediatrician and she's like let's just watch him let's just see what's happening we'll see what's going on um when he turned 3 she's like clearly he has some emotional regulation issues let's go ahead and start occupational therapy i was like all right cool that wasn't enough um, and we thought that he might have I, mean, I took him back to the pediatrician this last spring i want to say like this march and i was like something is up with this child. This is not normal. And she watched him for 10 minutes. And in that 10 minute span, he had tried to jump off of the, uh, like the exam bed multiple times, climbed on it, had a huge angry meltdown, told me he hated me, told me he hated everything in the room, tried to leave the room, hit the doctor and then said he wanted to die. Yep. Yeah. And that's just not something that you ever want to hear from a three-year-old. And so I was telling her about the issues. And so she recommended him for a psychiatric consult, thinking that he potentially had ODD plus ADHD, maybe atypical autism. And we finally got in with a psychiatrist um, at the end of June, beginning of July. And she gave us our diagnosis yesterday of uh, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder and ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder. And I mean, it was kind of expected, um, but it still doesn't really, having his diagnosis hasn't really minimized the issues that we're having with him, you know, now he's terrified of things like he won't sleep in his own bed. He needs to sleep with me because he's afraid that something's going to get him in the middle of the night and he won't go to the bathroom by himself because he's afraid to go somewhere without an adult. And I mean, it was just a little bit intense. And then, you know, reading the test results from what his former teachers had said, Mm -hmm. um, just was such a, shock to the system too, because they were talking about how he wasn't interacting with his peers and he wasn't talking to the teachers and he would run away from them into parking lots and, you know, show extreme danger and show, you know, like very aggressive tendencies in class and very low frustration tolerance. And, uh, I mean, it's nice to know that other people are seeing this and I'm not crazy. No, no. But it's also a bit like, okay, I'm literally walking around with a walking, talking time bomb. Uh, So it's a bit uh, intense. Um, I've described with Finn, our relationship is very much like I'm in an abusive relationship that I can't leave. Yep.
0: (laughs) I circled that sentence when you said it in our other call because- that was something we noticed too when my son was little mostly directed at his twin sister, actually, who's just a mini me and wanting to please everybody and make everybody happy. And um, he, he sensed that and, and she gave him everything he wanted, a toy, a treat, whatever got to go first and nothing was given back in return. It was not shared. And that was, he, he would yell at her and, and she would want to whatever. It, it, we'd have to intervene all the time. And she was like two. Um, it was very hard to watch. And you think to yourself, especially if you have other children, what am I doing? What kind of damage is being done to my other kids? Because I'm allowing this sort of relationship to happen, even though I'm trying not to allow it, but I don't know how to stop it. But in this case, it's, it's the relationships with you. Um, and it's you are trying to give your children what they need but it's like, you can't. And with, with Finn, I mean, you told me that story about the parking lot, um, with grandma, that was a story.
1: <laughs> should I, should I retell it? <laughs> yeah. I've, whew, yeah. Go for it. So, uh, last summer, um, I was in a store and my mom decided that she wanted to go into the store next to me and she had the kids with her. And I said, okay, that's fine. Just make sure that like they're wearing masks, yada, yada, you know, are you sure you're going to be okay? And my mom was like, oh yeah, <laughs> obviously, um, you know, she's worked with children for like 20 years. Um, you know, she has a lot of experience. So I was like, all right, cool. Within 10 to 15 minutes, um, she was blowing up my phone and <laughs> I was like, you need to get your child right now. And what ended up happening is she went into a store to try something on. Finn was in the dressing room with her. He waited until she got like completely naked, slipped under the door. And most kids would go like and hide like in a clothing rack. Where no, um, So it took her a minute to get dressed. She got out there and then she was like, has anyone seen this child? Like, where is he? Uh, and then all of a sudden they realized that Finn had run out into the parking lot and he wasn't just like right outside the door he was in the dab smack middle of the parking lot like 30 40 yards away from her (sighs) and when she went to go try to catch him he was running away and saying you can't catch the um the gingerbread man type thing and um that's why that book is not banned in our house Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and uh when she finally caught him it took three people to catch him (laughs) Uh he, when she's like, you know, cars can hit you. This is really dangerous. And he's like, no, they can't. I'm faster than cars. Cars can't hurt me. Yeah. And my mom was like, what the hell is this up with this kid? I just need a break. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, look, welcome to my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this mm-hmm. has happened several times since then. Just this, you know, complete and utter disregard for personal safety and this skewed sense of indestructibility. Mm, yes. Do you know where? The, because
0: I see both of my boys in both of your boys. Actually, um, where does the the indestructibility come from? It. What is that? I mean, I know you you just listed, and I know he just got this yesterday, but ADHD, DMDD, what was the other one? What oh, anxiety. Oh, okay. Where does this recklessness, it, the mental part of the recklessness, right? The hyperactivity piece could, you know, that's ADHD, I guess. But what about the I'm indestructible, nothing bad can happen to me? Where does that? Years ago, I searched for a group of mothers who might understand what I was going through and raising my out-of-the-box kid, and I came up empty-handed. Instead of strengthening my resolve and digging deeper, I gave up and came to the conclusion The group doesn't exist because I'm doing something wrong. Those feelings of shame, guilt, and doubt stayed with me for years, eventually leading me to create the support group community I wished I always had, which then led to instant friendships. These are mothers who don't need you to explain it. They get it. And now, my support group community, Mothers Together, is thriving. We hold small group, personalized virtual meetings weekly and catch up on our struggles and wins over the last week. We leave resources and questions for each other on our off of social media private forum, and we even attend virtual live Q&As with expert therapists, OTs, educators, and more. If you haven't yet found your people who not only understand what you're going through, but also can completely relate, Mothers Together is for you. If you're looking for lifelong friendships in a judgment-free, personalized space for weeks, months, or years to come, Mothers Together is for you. Mothers Together opens its doors on the first of every month, but sign-ups start the week before. Head on over to ontheharddays.com motherstogether to get more information, read testimonials, and sign up. Still have questions after you check out the page? Send me an email at ontheharddays at gmail.com or DM me on Facebook or Instagram, and I'd be happy to chat with you personally. I don't want you to ever feel the way that I felt, which was alone, anxious, and depressed. Your people do exist. They're looking for you, too, and you'll find them in Mothers Together. Visit ontheharddays.com slash mothers together for more. Now back to the episode.
1: I kind of feel like it's partially the ADHD and partially the DMDD. So with ADHD, um, there is this huge lack of impulse control, you know, and he has done things that like, you know, he's constantly testing little boundaries and whatever he gets away with, he just takes it to the next level. You know, so for example, he went from like jumping on the nugget that we got for Christmas to scaling our walls with it. I mean, it's just he just slowly progresses and tries to figure out like just how far he can push things. And I kind of feel like that's where a big part of that comes in is that, you know, just like that impulse, like he has a strong impulse to do XYZ. And if he's successful the first time, we'll keep doing it. Um, and then I think, you know, what also kind of ties into this now that we're seeing those with the anxiety is that he is taking everything we say and like taking it onto himself, so for example, this summer, um, we were with my parents and my dad took them fishing and we were telling Finn, you know, you have to be very careful with a fishing hook. It can really hurt when it's in your finger. And it just so happens that a couple of years ago, I got a fish hook stuck in my finger. Um, I won't tell the story right oh. now. It's, it's, it's kind of hilarious in a, <laughs> oh my God, what the hell's wrong with you kind of way. Um, <laughs> But anyways, so I got a fish hook stuck in my finger and it was so bad that I actually had to go to the emergency room. And so I had like x-rays and everything and it just randomly, the day that we went fishing happened, that happened to be my Facebook timeline memories. And so, um, I was looking at Facebook when they were fishing and I said, oh yeah, see, look here, this is what I'm talking about. This is what happens Mm. if you're not careful. The next day and for the next three weeks, he insisted that he was the one that went to the hospital and had a fish hook stuck in his finger. And nothing would convince him otherwise that that happened to him. So I kind of feel like, you know, like when he's seeing things like the gingerbread man, it's like, he's like, oh, well, I'm like the gingerbread man. And he just like absorbs like this stuff. Mm.
0: So it's like he's taking on sort of the persona of others. However, yeah. so when something clicks with him and something resonates and
1: he's just like, that's me. Yeah. and I mean, and it's like anything that's like something that's like tragic, like a fishing hook or, and, you know, having to go to the hospital, like he just takes that and is like, oh yeah, that's me now. And I mean, like, I'm like, no, that was me. He's like, "No, nope, nope. I went to the hospital. You just weren't with me. You know, and he always has some sort of reason why it was him. Mm-hmm. And he now is insisting that he is the adult in our house.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I made the mistake of saying, listen, Finn, you have to listen to people that are adults. You know, they know what's good for you. You know, you have to listen to the rules. Adults are in charge. Now he will, well, yesterday I tried to talk to him and he said, "Uh, uh, no, nope, do not talk to me. Listen, listen to me. I am the adult.
0: Yeah. And I'm just, uh, he took on your persona. He, he took on the role of authority. Um, it's, it's interesting, but also obviously as a mom, it's terrifying. Um, what do you know about, because I keep hearing this now this week, I've heard this three or four times DMDD. What can you tell us about? disruptive mood dysregulation disorder? How is that different from ODD and all of that?
1: So for ODD, for what I understand is, it's almost like a child is programmed to be oppositional, you know, like or defiant towards other people. Um, you know, it, it's it's a usually like an overlapping diagnosis with ADHD or autism. Um, a lot of these issues, you know, tend to overlap. Um, And with the DMDD, it's more kind of like an anxiety based um, trigger, you know. So, for example, she said that when Finn is dangerous at the playground with his peers, he's experiencing anxiety because he doesn't understand the proper way to communicate and play with them. But he knows that if he hits them, he'll get attention from them. So whereas like ODD would be like a kid tried to play with him and he would just like, and if he didn't want to do it, he would like throw something at the child, you know? So it's like kind of the, the motive behind it is different. So
0: how do you, You how do you work with a child with, I I suppose you might not know the answer yet, but how do you work with a child with DMDD to help them understand and then put into practice what is
1: socially appropriate? Well, we're still figuring that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, recently um, we have been working on getting him to identify his emotions and express them in the correct way. So for example, um, his occupational therapist is using the four zones of regulation, which is, you know, the, the blue zone, the green zone, the yellow zone, and the red zone. And, you know, we, the emotions fall in these different colors. For example, if you were really sad or really tired, you'd be blue. If you're happy, productive, working, calm, you're in green. If you start to get kind of excited or a little bit nervous, you would be in yellow. Or if you're like, you're really, really mad or like over the top excited, you would be in red. And, you know, she's teaching, okay, well, there's no such thing as a bad emotion. We all experience emotions but some emotions are more productive than others and so she's trying to teach him how to identify these emotions and how he's feeling them and how to retrain them to be back to like the idealic green zone um and in, in combination with that the um psychiatrist has him doing green choices and red choices so you know, the green choices are the things like he said, he wants to make green choices. So we have to remind him that this is a green choice. And when he makes a red choice, you know, if we just immediately tell him, no, he will rebel against us. Um, But if we all like offer him two acceptable green choices in return, then he feels like he has the control back. So we're working on kind of, doing that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know that it doesn't really look like discipline to most people. And, you know, I've had someone say, well, it's just because you're not disciplining your child. And like, it's not that like, nothing works with him disciplinary wise, Mm -hmm. you know, like he needs to be mentally retrained. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we're doing is that when he's consistently making red choices, um, we have a three strike policy. And when he gets to the third strike, he loses one of his privileges. Maybe it's like tablet time or, you know, maybe it's jumping on the trampoline or whatever. Um, And then he can earn back those privileges, but he has to do things that are really, really good green choices or really productive. You know, showing that he has recognized his emotion and how he can do better from it.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. Those are good strategies, actually, uh, that I really
0: like for my own home. Um, And it is so different than sort of the societal norms for traditional parenting. And and people have a hard time wrapping their brain around that. How did you wrap your brain around it? How did you come to the understanding that you sort of had to change the way you looked at motherhood and
1: parenting? And how did that affect you personally? Mostly it was just kind of like, so I also have ADHD. Um, and so like, I know my impulses can kind of get out of whack. And I noticed that when I was letting him get to me, because like, you know, the kid, your kids are the best at pushing your own buttons. Like they know, and especially a child like Finn, that is like intentionally, you know, pushing them, um, to try to get his way. and. I noticed that the more escalated I got, the more severe the tantrums were, you know, Finn would, it would take him 45 plus minutes to get back to normal when we were butting heads, you know, and like, we have tried everything like, okay, stand in a corner that didn't work. Take away something that he loved that didn't work. You know, um, we tried doing like a pop on the butt that didn't work he just started hitting us more you know <laughs> like and uh you know we've done like timeouts and you know the only thing that kind of really works is like a time in you know um where we just sit with him and regulate him for himself you know and kind of like force him to go through that regulation type thing and he he's getting better about self-regulation but I mean, he's also he, he just turned four this last week, yeah. uh, and it's not like your your three four year olds are yeah. exactly the the paragons of self control. <laughs> no,
0: no, he's still so little. Um, my son struggles, struggled, and struggles with um, self regulation as well. And I also I agree with you. Those time in moments sort of knowing that my son might need to leave a space, maybe he's hitting or he's going to, and I can see the rage coming. So it's like, you need to be out of this space. Like we need to go. In an ideal sort of traditional thing, I would send him away and he'd go there alone and calm himself down. But but I realized the hard way that that is not possible. For me to go sit there with him, that is much more helpful and sort of accept him as he is in the moment which includes hugs or back rubbing or whatever. But the problem is, and I'm getting there, I'm working on it. But traditional parenting says, like, no, you just flipped up a board game out of anger. You don't get you don't get love right now. You don't get a hug, a hug, you don't get a snuggle, you don't get, you know, mm-hmm. I'm mad and, and this is your consequence. And that doesn't fit with our kids. And I can't tell you the amount of soul searching I've had to do. To come to that realization. Have you gone through
1: something similar? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like it's easy to let your own anger be like the thing, you know, like the way that I was raised and the majority of us were raised were like, this is an adult. This is their, this is, this is authority. And yes. you don't mess yeah. with authority because there's some severe consequences that you don't like. Yep. And, you know, coming from like that the conditioning, you know, and seeing how it didn't work and how it made things work. So it was really hard for me to take that away, you know. Um, and if, I've really had to retrain myself. And, you know, it's like I saw like the one of those like like a meme or something like that the other day, um, by the other day, me, like probably like six months ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it was like, you know, uh kind of like hug me even when you don't think I deserve it. That's what I needed the most type. That was like the, like the message of it. And I mean, honestly, I feel like even for neurotypical children, I mean, growing up and learning emotions is hard. And, you know, like his psychiatrist said, most kids aren't programmed to wake up and be like, I'm going to be, I almost swore uh, <laughs> wouldn't
0: be the first time on a, my, on my show. So feel free anytime.
1: <laughs> yeah, back that up there. Uh, jerk. <laughs> you know, he um, was like, you know, they're not programmed to be like, you know, what? I'm just going to be a jerk to everyone today. And I'm going to flip board games up and tear apart my room and hit everybody. I mean, like kids don't wake up and think that they, it's like, they, it just they happens. want to be, loved and praised and appreciated and, you know, validated. Mm-hmm. And our kids just have that extra hard processing that just makes it too much for them to fully grasp it mm-hmm. in a way that neurotypical children can eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. I, I, I came to this realization a couple of months ago that when a kid like ours makes a behavioral choice that is, let's say not so good. Um we're we're trying to tr- to teach them to make a different choice, but in many, many times their whatever just came out of them was not really in their control. On the flip side of that, kids who do make good choices easily and it just sort of like comes comes to them, that also isn't in their control. And for the longest time I, I felt like, you know if my my, My daughter might make a different choice and she may follow my direction much more easily because, but it's not because she wants to make me happy and my son doesn't. It's just that it, it comes out of her more naturally where what comes out of him is something different. And so it's almost like parents who have these super, super well-behaved children who are traditional, who follow, they just happen to fit into the traditional model you just got lucky. I'm sorry. Like you just got lucky that they happen to fit into that model. And so, yeah, look at how well-behaved they are. Well, that's because what they need to do, what comes out of them happens to match the norms that we set as a society. What comes out of our neurodiverse kids doesn't match the norms. So I just think that made me feel better when it was like, okay, we can't give credit to the the moms who have these really well-behaved children either, because- None of it's in the mom's control. The kids are going to do
1: what the kids are going to do based on exactly. their needs. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest. It's really easy for me to feel very resentful when I see those kids. Because I'm just like, yep. you know, they'll be like, oh, you won't believe what my daughter did. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that, "That that's a serious infraction? Yes. Like, yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I won't even tell you what we did today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of what I've personally had to overcome with learning and dealing with how they deal with these emotions and how it's just not programmed for them to understand it easily is like, I've had to learn to kind of ignore other people because, you know, either you have the people that try to convince you that you're the one that's crazy and that your child is normal, but you're not a good parent. Um, Or, you know, you have the people that have like angelic children and they're like, Oh, well, have you ever tried putting them in a timeout chair? And I'm just like, (sighs) Yep. yep. Gosh,
0: that that's such a good line that you just said. It's That, that might be the quote right there, because the people trying to convince you that your child is normal, but you are a bad parent. No one ever says the words, you are a bad parent, but it's implied. If you just tighten your boundaries, if you just um, be more consistent with your discipline, if you just, if you just, then they will X, Y, Z. And that feels terrible because you then go and try it. And it turns out that they still don't do what people said they were going to do. And so now you're deep into this hole of, okay, well, they said it was me and now I'm really messing up. Like I really suck at this job. I'm, I'm a terrible mother, you know, and it it quickly spirals. That is so relatable. Um,
1: I mean, like, and we've had to deal with a, with a lot and it took me a long time to come to this realization. And actually um, shortly after Finn was born, I was getting so overstimulated and overwhelmed that I actually, I went into my OBGYN's office for like a checkup after I had been, and she could see just how badly I was struggling that she gave me anti-anxiety medication. And I mean, it's just been kind of one of those things where, you know, um, I actually have, have, have recently discovered that I have been in a state of depression since I had a miscarriage before having Everett and the pandemic finally brought it to a severe enough point that it couldn't be ignored. Uh, and, you know, just kind of like figuring these things out for me and seeing how the comments of these people have pushed me further into this this pit has just been yes. crazy. Yes. Um, you know, and then like in addition with that, you know, with ever having autism, you know, I've also had to deal with a lot of crazy people trying to say that like I gave my child vaccines hoping for a trendy autism diagnosis. Oh and you know, gosh. especially because we're on, you know, I'm very public about our struggles mm-hmm. because, you know, like like my blog title says, not so super mom for society. Like I am not such a super mom, (laughs) you know, like I'm struggling like everybody else. And I got really tired of everyone saying, oh, either I was a superhuman parent or I was a shit parent. So I was like, I'm taking control of that. That's me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, because we say these, because I I post about it Mm -hmm. and I'm so vocal about it that we have had people that have been like, uh, yeah, you're poisoning your child. You need to detox him and put like, oh my God, like do this and do that. And some hoodoo voodoo witchcraft Mm -hmm. and telling you that I'm evil Mm -hmm. and that I shouldn't speak about it because I don't have autism. So therefore I can't speak about ever having autism. And I mean, it's just, you know, you get a lot, um, you know, and even from my family, like uh, my dad, we, we stayed there this summer with him. Um, Even he made the comment that was like, it's just clear that he doesn't get disciplined at all. And I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) Um, and I kind of thought my dad realized after he said that, that he, you know, said something that he shouldn't have said. And he texted me later. Um, he was actually flying out to Maryland that day and he texted me later and he's like, listen, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know that that, you know, that you're doing your best you can. Um, but Mm -hmm. still, I mean, like it's hard even when you, for anyone to see that, these children are so what looks to be out of control and for me to just look like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. There's just chaos happening over there. It's cool. The house is burning down, whatever. It's Everything's fine. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing
0: that, that resonates with me as well. But so like that example with your dad, so it came flying out of his mouth. Whoops. He realized that was offensive. He apologizes, which is great but he still had the thought. The thought was still there and nothing can take that away. And he's not the only one with that thought. So many people have that thought. In fact, before I had children, I'd be in a grocery store seeing a kid having a meltdown. And I might've had that thought. We're all so quick to judge, right? And then you have the kids and you're like, oh my gosh, the fact that the thought was still there is what hurts me. That's where the sting is. And so- doesn't matter if you apologize that you said it, you still thought it and you still think it right now. We could even still have a discussion about it. And you'd still say, I'm not sure you're disciplining the right
1: way or enough or whatever. And that hurts that, that really gets me. And, you know, part of me is kind of hoping that with this, you know, with this next generation that's coming up, you know, I have seen a lot more tolerance being, you know, and, you know, encouraged and more alternative, you know, systems that have been promoted. And so I'm really hoping that, you know, in the future that this, you know, very much like uh you need to follow the rules and fit in this box exactly this way type society is going to get, you know, kind of the legs taken up from underneath mm-hmm. it. Um
0: which I think but, will happen
1: the more that you blog and,
0: and the more that I talk, that's what we are doing. We're slowly chipping away at those legs of, of, you know, the sides of the box, because the more we bring awareness to it and, and a lot of it's just ignorance and lack of exposure. So the more that we expose you are sharing, I am sharing. Yes, it's personal, but, but I find it therapeutic and helpful. And you do too. Um,
1: we are doing that work. Yeah. I mean, just getting it out there. I mean, at first it was just because I was tired of answering the same questions over and over again. Like, how did you get a diagnosis? How did you know something was wrong? What about these symptoms and signs? You know, and I just got so tired of just repeating myself that I blogged about it. And then it kind of evolved into man, we went to the playground today and I saw the looks that these mothers were giving me because my child, you know, pushed their child down, you know, and I saw how, you know, you were like, don't spend time with them. And, you know, like, and I see these things and like it, you know, it, it affects you so negatively because like, it makes you feel like the bad parent. It makes you feel bad for your child that, you know, they're having playmates taken away from them. And also because like clearly your child was overwhelmed or didn't understand how to do something and that's how they responded and they couldn't really help it. And so it just kind of just, it came out of me in this blog, just, mm-hmm. you know, next time you see something just like have some grace, yeah. you know? Yeah and uh you know i always kind of joked um that i was an excellent parent before i became a parent <laughs> yes same <laughs> and uh it's just kind of you know i feel like a lot of these people that have or these parents that have neurotypical children they just as much as they try to sympathize with you, because yes, all children have issues and difficulties and hurdles. Um, They still just don't quite get it. You know, like our child could be acting angelic and perfect and doing everything right that day, but you still are on guard, just waiting for that shoe to drop. Like there's just, there's no, Way to describe the level of anxiety and watchfulness that you are just programmed to experience um, when you have a child like this. And so, I mean, no matter how many good t- days and incidents we have, we're always waiting, we're always waiting for that next shoe to drop.
0: Yes. Yes. And that, and then people sort of think about you that you're crazy because your kid's doing so well. Like, what are you worried about? Stop being so anxious. You know, you, you just need to relax, um, without understanding that, especially when there's aggression involved, I, I don't know about you, but for me, when there's physical aggression, especially to a, a peer or two siblings, that is this extra level of stress, because of course I, I don't, I don't condone violence in my home. I don't show them violent things on TV. I am not, this isn't my fault. This is not my fault. I do not hit or whatever. I don't do these things, but my kid does because that's the reaction that he has when he's overwhelmed or he's overstimulated or whatever, whatever. Is it wrong what he's doing? Yes. What do I do? What am I supposed to do?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know,
0: it's so frustrating.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and it's not like you want the other child to think that it's okay to be hit by a peer. I mean, it's not that at all. Like I feel intensely bad for, you know, the the child that experiences the wrath of one of my children, um, you know, and I feel guilty and, but it's kind of like, You just want your child so desperately to just react neurotypically with their peers and have that relationship. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times I I know I was guilty of this. Like I kind of almost like was forcing these interactions because I'm like, if I just give them enough, yes, then, you know, he'll, he'll get it. Yes. I did that too. That's
0: relatable. It's just kind of sticking. And I don't do this too often, but I'm thinking of one specific thing in particular, sticking them with sort of neurotypical kids. All my kids are perhaps a bit neurodiverse, although he's the only one that, you know, we've got diagnoses for, but let's go do a play date with these kids and maybe their neurotypicalness will rub off on you and you'll be able to just engage and play. And then when they don't, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm dumb. Like what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> And, and my kids are fine too. And they, that's the thing they're normal, whatever, cause what is normal? Like they're neurodiverse, but they are normal for them. They are fine for them. It's training society to understand it. That's the
1: problem. Yeah. And I have to say, I have been very, very blessed with the group of friends that I have because Whenever it was younger, um, I was good friends with two women. I'm still good friends with them. We just live too far apart for the school systems. But um, whenever it was having these issues and they would attack their children, like they were so understanding about it and they never were like, yeah, um, yeah, I know you want to have a play date. I just don't think so anymore. I mean, they were always very willing to, I hate to say it like this, but like put their child in the line of fire, yeah. you know, um, you know, they were, they were so understanding. Um, and whenever we would have one of these really bad days, they weren't the type that was like, "Oh, have you tried this? Yes. And they were the type that was, you know what, you're having a rough day. How are you doing? What can I do? And having that, especially during Everett's first part of getting diagnosed was just such a relief. Um, and now, you know, uh, I'm good friends with other women that have neurodiverse children. And one of my closest friends has three, um, that have like everything from ODD to Tourette's to ADHD and everything. And, uh, that's kind of how we figured out that Finn might have something kind of like ODD or DMDD is because she literally said that her child was exactly like Finn at this age. And that was, so then I was like, wait a minute, these are those signs. Okay. You know? And so just building up that network of, of women that could relate to my experiences And could sympathize with me and just support me how I needed to be supported is exactly what I needed,
0: Mm.
1: you know, and yeah, I know that I am fortunate because I know a lot of other, you know, parents with, you know, special needs children don't have that because it can feel very isolating, you know, especially when it's like your child is the only child at the park that's, you know, trying to throw dirt on every other kid's head. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: You're so lucky. You are very lucky to have, have found real life quote unquote people that you can really talk with who get it. I did not. And I've got plenty of wonderful friends, but nope. They, they, and they wanted to understand, but they, they can't really, really understand. And that's why I started the podcast because it was like, Okay, there's got, there are mothers out there. I know it's not just me. And every time I talk to a mother like you, which is now I bring, you know, I bring them on weekly, the better I feel about myself as a mother. It's actually been very, it's been like counseling for me because it's one more mother who's like, yeah, I deal with this too. And these are my struggles. And I go, oh, one more person who's reminding me that this is not anybody's fault. I did not cause this and I'm actually doing a really good job. and that is something that you need other people to help you through that process. And then I've been lucky enough and grateful enough to have just started a support group community because mothers don't have anybody to talk to either. Once if they're alone, it's like, I'm in hiding. Who do I tell? Who can I say? This is my kid too. Like, am I bad? Am I doing a bad job? What, what do I do here? And, and that's hard too. And I couldn't find any sort of support I found plenty of Facebook groups that were amazing that have a lot of information, but I didn't have information. (laughs) I needed information. I was just looking for solidarity with friends and um, that was really hard to
1: find. So I'm so glad that you were able to find it in person. Well, yeah. And you know, I really do feel like it because I have joined several of those Facebook groups and you know, it's like, I feel like I saw, um, do you know who the juggling Jenkins is? To Tiffany, Um, she, a couple of years ago, she did this skit where she was kind of acting on all the personalities that are in a mom's group. And, you know, it's not just like a regular mom's group with these special needs groups. Like they, they have the same people, but it's different. So um, I just joined like a a DMDD support group because none of my friends have anything like that with their kids and it's really new to me, and I'm still exploring it, and so I posted a little intro, and I posted a video of Fed like, scaling our walls, and I was like, hey, we just got our diagnosis, you know, this is my child, can't wait to hear your experiences, and, you know, do you have any recommendations for someone at the beginning of their journey? The very first woman that commented was like, I would get a second opinion. DMDD should not be diagnosed before they're six. What? And I'm like, (laughs) you haven't met my child. Yes, typically a child is not diagnosed with DMDD prior to six. It's not unheard of though. And my child has it. This is in a DMDD group. Mm -hmm. See, right. And it's like you always have (sighs) in any of these Facebook support groups, there's always somebody that has to invalidate your experience. Mm. And that.
0: That's why I started an off Facebook support group because that shouldn't, there's so many people in those groups too. So, you, you know, you kind of like slip in unnoticed when you join one and you might post a little introduction, but you're getting possibly thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And, and I just think that sometimes social media, we forget that there's like um, manners, things called manners and politeness yeah. and respect, but when it's off of social media, it's like a different So I, I made my support group off of Facebook. It's password protected. Like you're only coming in. If you are struggling, nobody's there to tell you what you should or should not do. We're all waving the white flag um, because that drives me bonkers. Like you joined
1: that group for help
0: and that's what you got was judgment.
1: No, no. Yeah. I mean, like, and I, even, even on our Instagram, you know, like I posted about his diagnosis and I was like, yeah, you know, like. I've talked a little bit about it. We thought he had ODD, now it's MDD, yada, yada. And even on our Instagram, there was someone that commented that was like, I was a teacher at a school with children that have autism. And I would really talk to another doctor and get second opinion because these could all be autism. And I'm like, yes, yeah, I don't know about autism hello like that's where i started my freaking blog right 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 you know the judgments
0: of other people especially other moms and especially other moms who have neurodiverse kids too that should not be happening that i mean that should not be happening i have been thankful that i have not we've had any of those issues um in my support group i don't know maybe i'm just filtering so specifically to moms who are really struggling um Like myself, it's just frustrating. You are doing a fantastic job. You are doing the research. You're putting in the work. You show up every day and you are getting the help that your boys need um, at younger ages, which, in my opinion, is a fantastic thing so that you can get on top of it as much as possible because you know that there's going to be challenges throughout puberty and high school. And, you know, it's, you got to get on. uh, That's how I feel about my own, my own kid. Now, Crystal, where can moms find you? I know we've got the blog. So tell us a little bit more about it because they are definitely going to want to check out what you have to offer.
1: So I am most active on my Instagram and on my blog. Um, my Instagram is just not so super mom underscore VS underscore society. And then if you just either Facebook search or Google search, not so super mom for society, my blog will pop up. Um, right now you'll know that you found my Instagram because my profile photo is, I was trying to take a fun photo with my kids and I flipped Everett upside down and he kicked me in the head. And I just felt like that was just the perfect thing for a not so super mom. (laughs) Mm, Yep. Sums it up right there. Yeah, no, I
0: know that they will want to reach out, uh, listeners and and contact you and and just offer support and check out your blog and your Instagram. Um, because, it's relatable. It is super relatable. Um, so, and I talk about,
1: you know, more issues than just, yes, you do.
0: Yes. And you sent me many amazing
1: blog posts. Tell me about that. So, um, one of my other, I'm also a photographer and one of my projects that I've been working on is called like, I haven't really fleshed out the name entirely. It's kind of like motherhood uncensored or like motherhood in the raw. And it's about, Women after they have given birth and their intense experience of becoming a parent, because I really feel like if I had known how hard having children was before I got pregnant, I may have not gotten pregnant. <laughs> I feel like that's awful to say, it's but um, not... you know, but I kind of feel like a lot of other parents feel that way too. Like, you know, you can never fully grasp the implications of. Parenthood until you are one. And so I take photos of like the like the midsections of women and show off like their their battle scars and everything. And um, and then I just talk about their stories. And, you know, like one of my like my story is I like I discovered I had endometriosis and I had infertility issues, and then this other stuff happened. So, you know, like I talk about that and I talk about anxiety and I talk about, you know, depression. And then, you know, I also give kids centric activities. Um, I used to work at a science center. Um, so I also do like a lot of fun experiments and stuff like that too. So. Mm, that's wicked cool. You have a whole
0: wealth of knowledge of things to share. And so much is from personal experience from you. Um, so that's, it's really cool. Y- you have a whole Um, a volume of resources that mothers can utilize, just reading anecdotes from your own life, but also checking out some of the other things that you've done. So very, very cool. I'm so glad that you are so brave and vulnerable. Really, that's what happens when you share your story. You're putting yourself out there in order to help other people. And I think that that is amazing. Um, So Crystal, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here and, and sharing all this with us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website ontheharddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you that way the podcast will be shown to more mothers and finally you can find me on Instagram at ontheharddays with dots in between each word or in my free Facebook community on the hard days podcast and community if you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey i encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that i can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need